Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy. Enjoy. My name is Kurt, and um, today we are in uh, continuing in our message series. Uh, where we've been talking about our liturgical flow, where we look at kind of different movements of our service. And the way that we've kind of transitioned um, from a more kind of typical three songs, announcements, and message to really uh, looking at movements that the hope is can integrate into who we are and what's happening in our lives and our weeks and hearing and understanding who God is. And so some of those movements have been uh, a confession of fear, a hospitality to grief and sadness, a release of shame. Um, so really for a summer message series, super positive. Um, people have been really pumped on fear, grief, shame. It's like, ooh, love that church. Um, but, and, uh, we're continuing to transition because we don't want to say, well, just those things or just happy church, but rather holding the tension of them both saying that these are ways that we experience um, who we are, what's going on within us, and who God is. And so integrating those and understanding those is a way of knowing who God is and how God is speaking to us. And so we've um, started talking about a promise of hope, and I'm actually um, repping the gear. We had Lisa Schmidt, uh, who is um, doing work as a sober hipster. She was here last week and shared her story. Um, which is incredible. I encourage you to kind of look into the, the entirety of Lisa's story, but what she is doing now to create art therapy boxes um, as a way of taking her story and her experience and her pain and trauma from the past and channeling it into a way to see and to serve others. Um, and as a kind of continued theme, when we talk about a promise of hope, uh, usually in life when we experience pain or trauma, um, our response to it is either to protect ourselves and to make sure that we never experience pain again. Or it can also be that we structure our lives so we make sure that nobody is hurt in this way again. It's a way of either looking internally or looking externally. And we think that both of those are incredibly important. Is that how do we take um, the horrible tragedies, which don't become beautiful mysteries just because hope comes out of them. But we understand them as horrible tragedies. And how do we see others that are going through the same thing? One of the things that Lisa said that I think is so important is her work and her life now is, what could I have used when I was in those difficult places? What voices, what messages would have been beautiful to receive then? And so that's really what we want to talk about today as we talk about hope. To talk about hope, we want to start with the phrase that I'm sure you've heard a lot of recently. Uh, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers has become a huge touch point in our culture, in our world, and it becomes shorthand for what? Indifference. That thoughts and prayers are a way to feign interest or to say, like, I care, and I'm really interested, and we, we need to, this, this horrible tragedy happened, but the way that we understand it culturally today is, but I don't really care enough to, to take action. I care, but my care is at a distance. My engagement is kind of separate. And why we want to talk about this is in this last week, um, as we were in church last week, there were two mass shootings in our country yet again. 
22 people were shot in an El Paso Walmart. And then less than 12, 14 hours later, nine people were shot in Dayton, Ohio. And what I thought was really interesting and led into a conversation today is uh, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine was giving a speech at a candlelight vigil in Dayton, Ohio about this tragedy. And in the middle of him talking about how well, this is a terrible tragedy and this awful thing happened, someone yelled out, do something. And you can hear the recording where it just creates this movement where people just kept yelling out, do something, do something, do something. And a reporter who was there a block and a half away said that you couldn't hear a word he was saying through amplification because these chants of do something were so loud. And that movement, that kind of action, is how I want to frame promise of hope. That within uh, the Christian story, within the Christian narrative, hope is not a passive thing. And a lot of times, hope gets portrayed that way within Christianity. There's a kind of theology and a mentality that ultimately, look, we're making a mess of it. This world's kind of a, a big joke, but don't worry. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to clean it all up. You get this idea of like if you were ever a kid and you had siblings or maybe a friend over and you're playing in your room and like you start yelling at each other and someone starts throwing something and like you're still actively violently attacking your sibling or your friend, but you, you hope, but like mom and dad or my parents, like someone's coming through that door to break this up, right? Or if you watch sports, it's kind of like every NBA fight that ever happens, it's like, I am going after this guy, but my teammates are going to show up at some point, right? I'm not going to let this go all the way. And Christianity can be reduced to that. The hope of Christianity can be reduced to, well, these things are escalating. It's getting really, really bad. But it's like, Jesus is going to show up and fix it all, right? Kind of wipe clear the deck and make everything better. And to say that that's actually not the stories and narrative that we see in the life of Jesus. There's something else that we say that we get to participate in hope. We get to participate in the promise of hope that the world that we experience today is not the world as it will be forever. An active engagement from people that understand that we are called and invited by seeing that the image of God is planted in all of us we are invited to participate in the mutual thriving of all people. And when we see systems, when we see individuals, when we see indifference that's blocking that, we get to be the ones invited to participate in that. We get to bring hope, the hands and feet of hope in this world. So the story that we want to look at uh, in the Bible this morning that kind of illustrates this and talk about this is in Luke 19. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open it to Luke 19 if you have it on your phone or we'll have it up on the screen to look at. Luke 19, starting in verse 1, says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. To stop here for a second, just a couple of things to note. It talks about how they're going through Jericho, um, which can kind of seem like an insignificant detail. 
um, but it's something that really would have mattered culturally to the people there. In this time, in the time of Jesus, Jericho was an incredibly wealthy place. Um, kind of the, the talking about, they sold this um, resin uh, called um, basalum, and it was incredibly valuable. So if you were the chief tax collector in Jericho where there was lots of money and resources moving around, that means you got lots of money and resources. And just to talk about tax collecting for a second, how tax collecting worked in these areas that were primarily Jewish is that you were given the right to be a tax collector or a chief tax collector, which means you would have been in charge of everyone else by the Roman government. So you had certain amounts of money that you had to collect on behalf of Rome, but then you could kind of make up the rest of your fee structure and collect as much other taxes that you wanted, and you got to keep it. So in fact, we have um, historical records that wealthy Jews would place bids to become chief tax collectors. It was so lucrative that you would pay money to become a chief tax collector. Now, within the Jewish people and within their religious system, to know that these were one and the same, this was one world, this was a major, major no-no. You did not become a tax collector. And a lot of times in the language of the Bible, it talks about the sinners, this, and the tax collectors. It was like another category of sinning. It was another category of, oh, come on. And more than that, it wasn't just discussed that, like, they've done something that we find kind of culturally reprehensible. You could not enter the temple. You were such on the outside of what they were doing. You would literally sell your soul. You would make lots of money, but you would not be able to be integrated into Jewish life and culture. And to not be able to go into the temple meant that you were perpetually ceremonially unclean. There was no way for you to become clean and to become integrated with the society. So a lot of times we kind of understand this more clearly when we talk about another category in the Bible of these outsiders, lepers, who had this skin disease that you could see and they lived in leper colonies outside and they were perpetually unclean too. Because to come in and to offer these ritual sacrifices, you could infect other people around you. So these would have been societal lepers in the same way. They were just as untouchable, but because of their career choice and what they did. And this is Zacchaeus. So one of the reasons why you can say this is so important for Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus can't go into the synagogue. But here, as Jesus is coming, the synagogue is coming to him. Right? A lot of times we tell this story and say, well, he had his conversion moment. He just knew that it was time to repent, and so he sought after his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, he didn't. He was like, I finally get to, as a Jew, I get to hear a rabbi teach, because they're out here amongst me. Continuing on in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Quick note here. To go to Zacchaeus' house, obviously, that would be an unclean practice. But where the height of Jewish kind of cleanliness resided was food and eating. You did not eat with people who were ceremonially unclean. So Jesus said, I'm coming to your house today. Prepare a meal for me. Was a radical, subversive act. 
When he said that, it would have angered all the people around him. I say it a lot. They kill him at the end of the story for a reason, okay? He's not giving out free hugs and rainbow stickers. And then he's like, what? You guys are mad? Weird. I had no idea. That is this whitewashed version of Jesus that causes us to not be able to see our prophets today. Jesus was a radical, and what he did was offensive and radical. And time and time again, when I look at the words and actions of Jesus, if I was a follower and a disciple of Jesus, I would have pulled him aside many times and been like, be cool, Jesus. Like, I, I, I don't know, some of these guys are my friend, these rabbis. Like, I'll set up a meeting. You can go. Let's just go behind closed doors. You really rip into them. But like, be cool publicly. Jesus is intentionally doing this in front of everybody. He's making a point. And there would have been a constant tension of his disciples and followers of, I'm following Jesus, I'm with Jesus, but oh, this is uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. That's why if you're always comfortable in church, we may not quite be doing it right. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, to which some people listening from outside went, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I love it. Zacchaeus didn't come and experience Jesus and say, oh, yeah, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. He didn't say, like, oh, he makes some compelling case. You know what? I'm going to take off 10% of everything I've been collecting. I'm going to hand out tax coupons to everyone who comes through town. I recognize I've been a little greedy, and I'm just going to dial it back a little bit. Now, what Zacchaeus is demonstrating here, and this is, again, something we see in the life of Jesus all the time, the people that are illustrating the kind of faith that God is inviting us into, the kind of world that God wants us to live into, are not the people in the religious system. It's the people outside of it. What Zacchaeus is demonstrating here is the kind of repentance, a super churchy word, that all the people that are inside the religious system are incapable of demonstrating. They cannot see that their actions and behaviors are creating such harm that they have to stop them and change them to really understand who God is and how God is moving in the world. Zacchaeus doesn't say, ah, oh, you're giving me a lot to think about. Maybe, do you have any books you've been reading? I can kind of read some of those immediately he sees and understands, I have been a part of a system that is oppressing and hurting people. I don't get this kingdom of God thing. My action and activity in this world has not been for the mutual thriving of all people. It's been for my thriving. It's been for my success at the expense of others. And I don't just have to get sad about that for a week. I have to actively participate in the turning around and recognition of that. Repentance is one of my favorite words. And I think it, it gets a bad rap, but I think if Christians could grab onto this word repentance and hold on to it and be at the forefront of the line of saying, we have to repent, we have to repent, it would be so helpful. 
Because in our world today, no one really majors on repentance. We major on shaming people who sin differently than us. We major on saying, you don't care enough about this issue, but I care enough about this issue. Or I vote on the right side of these things. Or you just don't understand what the world's like from my opinion. We're constantly looking and seeing others where the word repentance, and I apologize for the trigger for any of you. We are going to look at the Greek. I didn't want to, but here we are. We're going to do it. <laughs> the New Testament is written in Greek. So all of the Bible, Old Testament, Hebrew, largely New Testament is Greek. And so it's a translation. And some of those words, obviously in a translation, don't perfectly translate. Repentance means lots of different things, but in the Greek, repentance is two words. The metanoia is two words put together, which means after and to think, perceive, or observe, which I love that. What's another way of studying repentance? Be self-reflective. Think about your own life. Think about your own actions and behaviors. Observe them. See them. And when you recognize the ways in which you have not participated in the mutual thriving of all people, you haven't seen the world through the eyes of God who created every single person, and that image is in every single person. If you've used the ability to say, well, I've been harmed, so my harm isn't as bad as that person's harm, then we're not able to think and see and observe, oh, there's a different invitation for us. There's a different way of seeing and observing the world. Zacchaeus repents. He is self-reflective in a way to say there's a different set of actions and behaviors I need to engage in. And so I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to be able to respond with a song. When we talk about a promise of hope, the promise of hope is that we get to actively participate in changing our actions and behaviors. And some of what's involved in that is a current and future humility. If I'm constantly sure that what I'm doing right now is absolutely right in every single way, I don't have anything to repent of. And if I surround myself with people that will tell me the way that I'm living my, world, my, my life right now is great and awesome, I have nothing to ever repent of. The only thing we could possibly do is point fingers at other people that have repentance to do. But there's nothing in our own lives to say, wait, what are the ways that I'm not participating? And what's so funny is current you, you might have a hard time looking at. I get it. Me too. But what about five years ago you? Or ten years ago you? We got a little distance from that person. And we're like, oh, I thought that joke was funny. That is not funny. I said and participated in these things. I worked at these places. I was engaged in these relationships. When I look back now, I'm like, ah, that was not participating in the mutual thriving of all people. If you use that narrative just to say, look at how far I've come. Oh, I used to do some messed up stuff. Glad I fixed that. We're not understanding the flow of the world that we live in today. And if you look around our world in a society that yells out, do something, and says, yeah, we currently are not living in the kingdom of God, then we have work to do. We have hope to participate in. And so as we sing here in a bit, I hope that you'll be able to say, what are the ways, where are the places that I'm being invited to participate in the mutual thriving of all people? 
Are there ways that I have structured my life that get in the way of that? How am I actively participating, not in thoughts and prayers, but an active hope that's moving and working in this world. One note as we, we talk about this kind of repentance, and when we talk about this kind of we are aware of where my life and my actions are not participating in the mutual thriving of all people, the basis for that is not one of shame. The basis for that is not, well, of course you screwed up, you little monster. That's what you do. Um, I see every time I, I kind of hear these messages, I just think of Home Alone. It's like, look what you did, you little jerk. Like that's, we don't see that in Jesus with Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you little turd, come down here. You got some reparations to make because you've been messing everything up. Instead, what he sees in Zacchaeus, he says, let's go to your house because you, through your actions and decisions, have been robbed of your humanity in this community. I'm going to look you in the eyes and restore that. Now, God's breath is in your lungs. Let's go sit together as peers. I want to remind you of who you are. Once you know who you are, then these actions and behaviors are, well, why would I do that? That's not who I am. It's the opposite. It's not speaking a message of you have no value, so fix it so that you do have value. It's rather you have infinite value, so live into that identity. You don't have to live into the scarcity identity. You don't have to live into the identity that's afraid. You don't have to live into the identity, the version of yourself that has to protect and pull away and be scared of everyone. It's the one that gets to participate, the one that gets to join into that. So... How many of you were alive in the 80s? Um, which, by the way, I feel like that's a newerish question to ask. And it's kind of fun. Because, um, like, for the entirety of my life, I would be like, who here was born in the 2000s? Anybody? Hands? Um, but here we are. I'm getting old. So, if you grew up in the 80s, you knew public enemy number one, Aquanet, Right? We were spraying way too much hairspray, and we were killing the ozone. We were just spraying aerosol cans. We put cheese in aerosol cans. We were out of control with aerosol cans. And we were spraying CFCs, these chlorofluorocarbons, everywhere. And they detected in 1985 that a hole was forming in the ozone layer. Does anyone remember this? It was a big deal. We messed up the ozone layer. It was just going to keep on growing, and one day it was just going to burn us. The sun that gave life to everything was just going to destroy and burn everything because we took away this layer that protected us from these rays. Now, here's what's interesting. In the late 80s, there was the Montreal Protocol, which was a huge international ban on CFCs and their use and production. We actually intervened at that point. And how many of you have heard about the ozone layer recently? A couple of you? A lot of us are like, that's something I heard about a long time ago. Guess what? It's working. This is a picture of the ozone layer in 2000 and 2018. The ozone layer is repairing itself. They believe by the 2030s, if we continue our current trends, the northern hemisphere, the ozone over the northern hemisphere will be completely restored. And by the 2060s, the ozone layer over the Antarctica will be completely restored. 
it's almost like repentance and participation in hope actually does something. It's almost as if when we see our world and we see the ways that we're not participating in the mutual thriving of all people, we can do something and it has an effect. And so what I want you all to do now, because this is just one example of a place recently where I'm like, oh, I needed that. I needed to be reminded that it's not all doom and gloom, that there is hope. I'm going to invite you to do something that will be like some people's favorite thing and some people's like, oh, come on, man. Um, We want to have you kind of turn and share what's a story recently that you've had of hope. To be able just to kind of gather around, our biggest thing is just to look around, make sure no one's left out. To be able to say your name and share a story recently um, of hope and where you've experienced hope. For you internal processors, I'm going to keep talking for a little bit. You think of your example. You external processors, come with me. Here's the reason why we're doing this. The reason why we're doing this and and kind of gathering and talking, we know it's uncomfortable. We also know that statistically, we are more lonely societally than ever before. And a lot of our functions in a church and gathering a lot of people in a room is doing nothing to actually address loneliness. It's actually reinforcing it. I'm just lonely in a group. And we feel like there's something deeply sacred and powerful from just turning and viewing someone in the eyes, saying their name, and sharing something. It doesn't have to be profound. It's not a comparison game. You're not going to win or lose. It's just where's an area where you've experienced hope recently? Hey, internal processors, you good now? Maybe something? Okay. Go ahead and turn to the people around you. Say your name and share an experience of hope. I want to be able to, if some of you would be willing to kind of yell out and share, because one of the things about promises of hope, or just hope in the world in general, the things that are causing to change our outlook on the world, I don't think they're meant just for us internally. I think they're meant to be given air and space. They're meant to be shared. They're meant to be put out there. And I think when we're in a better place, Sometimes we hear other people's hope, and we're like, great for you. That's awesome. (laughs) But when we're in a better place of saying, there's aspects of hope in other people's lives where you can say, yeah, there is a mutual thriving of all people we can work towards. And if I can celebrate the thriving in your life, even if it's an area of lack in my life, I know that there's something moving and happening. That yes, there is pain and difficulty. I'm not trying to cover and eliminate that but I am trying to keep my eyes on the true tension of this world and life. There is also hope moving and springing up all around us. So what are some areas of hope that you guys shared with each other? A change in in high school policy? Oh, a change in gun policy. Yeah. Thank you. Any other? I love that. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that, Linda. Thank you. Did you hear that? Moving to a retirement community, fears of isolation and loneliness, and finding a beautiful, fun community to be a part of. Thank you. That's amazing. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, yes. Family relationships that come severed and then reunited. Beautiful. What else? Yes, 
pets help anxiety. Oh, 100%. We heard about puppies in our group. It was fantastic. Oh, puppies over there too? Woo! I think Bob Barker had it wrong. Let's get lots more puppies out there in the world. Anybody else? Places of hope? The ozone's healing. Did you understand the question, Scott? <laughs> oh, a turn. Okay, okay, okay. Get it. Sorry. Ooh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Centoya Brown is getting released. Beautiful. That's right. Thank you for sharing that, Catherine. Season three of Dear White People. That's right. I love that culturally we're like, yeah, things are pretty dark. But did you see Orange and the New Black? It just got released. Why not? I love it. Here's my invitation to you. Whatever was shared in your group or what you shared, to be able to think about how can I be an active participant in the hope? A lot of times when we hear things of hope or the things that we talk about or celebrate, like tend to be passive hope. And I'm not trying to, to knock that in anyone's example. This wasn't like, a, hey, everyone, talk about these things and be like, yeah, that was wrong. I don't mean that at all. What I mean is, what are the ways that we can actively participate? That we don't have to be in the passenger seat of hope. Or how can we see, no, there is a movement of hope that I get to be a part of. In a world that so desperately needs it. We need stories of this and not something that's just cutesy and we need we don't need more memes we don't need more or we could we could have some cutesy kitten memes I'm on board with but how are we partnering that with active work in this world to see healing for people to see healing within us to see that these issues of loneliness can be shattered can be addressed can be moved if we see ourselves within the eyes of God and we see God in all the people that are around us